Well, good morning, saints. Last week, we focused on the eternal perspective, preoccupying ourselves with our heavenly citizenship and our heavenly reward, and in so doing, being of much earthly good because of our mindset. This morning, the Apostle Paul will take our feet and plant them firmly on planet Earth and in daily life. In the here and the now, he will speak to a consistent New Testament theme that is crucial that we will unpack this morning. So I invite you to take your copy of God's word and uh, please turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. While you're turning, I'd like to talk with you for a moment about tacos. Yes, tacos. You have likely heard of... Taco Tuesday, I would like to say that uh, any day is a good day for tacos. So um, recently I have been enjoying learning how to make what are called burrito tacos. Uh, in my opinion, one of the most heavenly meals one can partake in. Uh, you marinate a roast and you slow cook that roast for about eight hours with Delectable Mexican chilies, and in my case, I add in some spices and herbs from Kazakhstan. So eight hours later, uh, your kitchen smells heavenly. And uh, the meat, it literally, the roast, it just falls apart, which is exactly what you want it to do. So as I have been endeavoring in this, or engaging in this new endeavor... I used a little machine that I don't use often, the KitchenAid, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And I thought to myself, now this is amazing. I can take this roast, put it in this little thing, press the button, and the meat is ready. But I have to be honest with you. I didn't really like the consistency of that that rendered. So I spoke with a couple people who are knowledgeable in such matters, tacos, and I said, well... I said, this is the result, what do you recommend? And both of them separately had the same reaction. They just kind of drew a deep breath and sighed. And I'm sure they were thinking, okay, let's set this gringo straight here. Uh, And they said, you know, it is at that time, you know, you've got your little food prep gloves on, that you show that roast some TLC and some, some much love, and with your hands, you break that meat apart. They said you cannot relegate that to a machine. It requires your personal attention. It requires your TLC for it to come out the way that it looks in a restaurant or somewhere else. Beloved, it is in the same way that we approach our topic at hand this morning. We give it our full attention. We refuse to outsource this to anyone else or overlook its importance. So let's read together Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. It does help for the pastor to turn there himself. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5, we read this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you once too uh, walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self which and its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is neither Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and Christ is in all. Now if you've been around church for any amount of time, you know that things at times can get messy. The wonderful aspect about church is that we pull together people from all different backgrounds and interests. Many of these social type gatherings you see out there are specific to particular interests. Athletics, the arts, politics, and so forth. But the church brings us all together through the commonality of our faith in Jesus Christ. So do you know what that means? Lots of diversity. And especially differing levels of Christian maturity. It brings to light what Paul is speaking to here. We are born again and have this implanted desire to love and to obey God's righteous laws. But we are far from perfect. Until the day we die, we will deal with temptation, the flesh, the world, and trials of numerous kinds. We are not all at the same place of spiritual maturity. Hopefully, we are all growing towards that. My youth pastor always used to tell us, he said, I do not want to struggle with the same sins five years from now. I want to see growth in my life to which five years down the road, I'm not still dealing with the things that I'm dealing with now. He wanted to see real growth in his life. Now, the consistent testimony of the New Testament is that we need to play an active part in our spiritual growth. We need to help one another along the way. This is discipleship. Praise God, he is always at work in our lives. He is the only one who truly sanctifies us. That is who makes us holy, but we are not a passive spectator to God's sanctification in our lives. Now, just as with the tacos, we need to roll up our sleeves and immerse ourselves in this process that God is taking us to. Which is why scripture tells us to bear with one another. Sometimes we hurt and offend one another. And sometimes we literally flat out just get on one another's nerves. But 
our our ongoing goal and vision is to help one another in this mission of Jesus. To see people following Christ. To see them being transformed by the power of Christ. To be more like him. And fully embracing his mission to make disciples who make disciples. So Paul says to put to death that which remains in our lives. That means to be killing sin. John Owen, a pastor and theologian from the 16th century or 1600s, famously said this. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. If you have been alive on planet earth for more than five minutes, you know this is true. You are born again, it is true. And yes, we are forgiven. Yes, we are going to heaven. But we still live in the here and now on this earth. And we must rid ourselves of the sin that lies within and the temptations that swirl All around us. This should be the sincere desire. And goal. Of every single Christian. How can we continue to live. And entertain. The very sin. That nailed our dear savior. To the cross. Remember it was Paul who said. I die daily. This is not a once in a while exercise. This is every single day. A pastor once said, a radical kind of thing has to take place in our life. You may be in the heavenlies by your inheritance. You may be in the heavenlies by your right in Christ. But you will never really and truly walk there, experience that, live that, until you begin to kill a few things this side of glory. Now when Paul talks to speak to putting sin to death, he lists two very powerful truths. The first one is this. The vices that he will mention are the very things that bring the holy and the righteous wrath of God. Sin is not to be trifled with. It is not to be just shoved under the carpet. It is not to be ignored and it is never to be tolerated. We must give no room for it to flourish in our lives. Secondly... When he lists different sins, he notes that we formally, we used to walk in these ways. They are hallmarks of darkness, of those who do not know the Lord. The wonderful news and the power of the gospel is that we have been delivered from the power and from the dominion of sin. We are now... Every New Testament author says, children of light. 
So how can we possibly continue to live the way that we used to live? It is true that the sins that he speaks to used to dominate and even define us, but not so anymore. My true identity is in Christ. We have been united with him. In fact, we celebrate this very truth today after the worship service with a few baptisms. Now, Paul uses uh, two lists of sins to make his point. You will see other similar lists throughout the New Testament. These two lists are not exhaustive in any way, but they're highly applicable and they teach us a principle. Now, what he does with these two lists is very remarkable. And this is what I want to make sure we pick up on as we look at it. He will first, he will note the surface level sin. That is the sin that we see that we're confronted with. But he will actually show us the underlying root cause. That is the root sins underneath the other sins. You can think of it in this way. Think of an iceberg. Sin is like an iceberg. Oftentimes you see that top 10%. That's what you see. But you know full well there's another 90% underneath the water hidden from your vision. And this is exactly how Paul addresses Sin. So the first list of sins that we must put to death pertain to sexual immorality. The word in the Greek that he uses is the word that we get pornography from. All kinds of scenarios in mind. Scripture informs us that sex is designed for and permitted within a marriage relationship of a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. What I want you to focus on is his progression to the presenting sin and how he drills deeper to show us the root of the sin. After listing immorality, watch the list. He notes impurity or uncleanness. That refers to thoughts behind the action. Action springs up from thoughts. Where we park our mind. I've often said my pastor would always tell us growing up, be careful where you park your mind. It is exactly why scripture says we must renew our minds in conformity with the truth. Romans 12, the first two verses. Paul goes on. He goes on to tell us to get rid of passions and desires. Now, what feeds our thoughts? It is our wayward passions and our evil desires. Peter would put it bluntly. He would put it in this way. He says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Have no part of them. Depart from them. 
Because these wage war against your soul. And every Christian said, yes and amen. So what's next? What points all of these desires and passions in the wrong direction? Now we're getting to the meat of the matter, no pun intended, about my tacos. Something we are all familiar with and directly prohibited in the Ten Commandments. Covetousness. Now what, is, what does it mean to covet? To covet, simply put, is to want something that does not belong to you. That is prohibited to you. Oh, the pain that we cause when we reach for that which is not ours. Remember what James tells us, James chapter 4? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passion, note the words here, James, Paul, we're all, they're all telling the same story. That your passions are at war within you because we haven't put them to death. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. It's all about coveting what you do not have. Oh, but Paul's not done yet. His list is not finished. What is the final sin in this list? Idolatry. It is what is behind it all. It is listed in the top ten, the top the Ten Commandments. It literally permeates the entire Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. How many times does God say, do not worship the idols of the neighboring people? Remember a few weeks ago, we highlighted Sigmund Freud, who paved the way for forming our identity, the thought of forming our identity around our desires and our preferences and our interests. We say to ourselves, I want that, but I know it's forbidden. So rather than bow to God's rules, God's regulations, I will, in my mind, remove God and erect an idol. And we'll call that idol me. Self. I rule. I am replacing my worship and my obedience to God so that ultimately I will become a slave to my own sinful passions. It is the ultimate betrayal. Idolatry truly is the sin behind all sins. I will do it my way. I will live as I please. We never see this in culture. I will live as I please with no regard for what God says. So what is Paul saying here? Yes, kill, 
sexual immorality. But how do you actually do that? He says, get to the root. What is the sin behind the sin? I am not a licensed counselor. You might know I have a doctorate specializing in counseling, but I always ask myself this question. Why do people do what they do? What is behind it? What is behind this mindset or this behavior? It's very helpful for me to ask that of myself. Why do I do the things that I do? Nine times out of ten, remember the iceberg, there's something much bigger underneath the surface that we don't see. Which is why we must be gentle and patient with one another. Because we simply do not know what the other person has walked through or experienced. What Paul is showing us here is at the root of sexual immorality and how to kill it. We've got to roll up our sleeves in this business of killing sin in our life and get to the root cause. And here's where you begin. Resolve to obey God always and take captive thoughts and passions that reside within that are contrary to God's holy revelation, his holy nature. If we do not feed our fleshy, evil desires, my friend, we will not be controlled by them. This may be an unpopular opinion, but we should not be so shocked when even spiritual leaders fall into sin. Disappointed? Of course, yes. But shocked as if it could never happen? No. Why? Because pastors and elders and deacons and Bible study leaders, your mentors, all of them, they're all human. And what Paul is speaking to applies to every single one of us, bar none, without any exception. We all need to be killing sin because each and every one of us, this side of glory, is capable, perfectly capable, of falling into temptation. So let's look briefly at the second list. Now this list is different in two different ways. These sins that he lists are a little more social in nature. I guess the other one in a sense is too. But these are sins of communication. The old tongue. And engagement. And in this case, they are placed in the reverse order. He inverses what he just did before. He begins with the root issue. And he progresses and shows us, well, this is what you're confronted with, with these underlying sins. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Now, we have certainly seen these sins, haven't we? 
Sadly, we even see them in the church. You don't need to, you don't meet, need me to tell you that when someone speaks of you in a malicious way, either directly or to others in slanderous words, it's devastating. These wounds run deep. But as you observe the list, please note the progression. There's a general sense of anger, anger, which is smoldering within our hearts. Two very important terms follow that. Wrath and malice. Wrath gives the same idea as the word anger. But it could also be rendered as furious. It's when something deep, that deep residing anger, lashes out like a forest fire in the moment. In just a moment, it becomes absolutely uncontainable. Because it lashes out so quickly, so fervently, the damage is, is done before you even have a moment to think what you're actually saying or doing. Now, when this fury characterizes people, it causes great anxiety in the people around us. Why? Because they are walking on eggshells with you. A constant sense of this fear of when that anger that you don't see under the water, the 90% of the, the iceberg will flare up and you have no idea what just set it off. Many people carry such deep wounds from living with a parent, a spouse, a coach, a teacher, a close friend with these issues. For our own good, God says, put them to death. Get to the root cause. So now we progress to malice. This is anger and hatred. Now watch this. That is directed towards someone or something in particular. Now we're getting personal. That smoldering anger that was just there is now directed at someone in particular. And oh, we are willing to break moral laws in the process. This is where the harm comes in. Malice is the root cause of so many harmful actions to other people. We're moving from this general sense of anger to a very specific action of the tongue that is so harmful and hurtful to specific people. Now, I don't need, I don't think we need to go into much specificity regarding the presenting sins. They are well known and understood. Slander, obscene talk, and lies. Have mercy. Now don't raise your hand, but I have a question for you. Have you ever been hurt by somebody else who degraded your good character by dragging your name through the mud? If your answer was yes, 
it wasn't just a passing feeling of hurt that you felt. Slander is worse than gossip. Gossip is talking about somebody to somebody else. And that person is not a part of the solution nor the problem. Slander takes it a bit further. Slander is when you maliciously and with pointed intent drag somebody else's name through the mud when they're not even there. Obscene talk is different, but somewhat related to the previous list. Paul told the the Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 or 30, somewhere in there. Do not let any unwholesome talk proceed from your mouth. Why? He says, it is not fitting for the children of of light. You're not in darkness anymore. Don't live like it. Don't think like it. Don't talk like it. Telling lies. Obviously, that's something we want to stop doing. Within the body of Christ, now listen, within the body of Christ, trust is absolutely crucial. Discipleship, progressing to maturity together will stop dead in its tracks if we break confidences and we cannot trust one another at the most basic level. We are always to speak the truth, Scripture tells us, and to do so in love. There could not be a greater contrast Jesus said in John 8:44 that Satan is the father of lies. When he speaks, Jesus said, he speaks lies which are his native language. I do not in any way want to resemble him. Now these two lists like I said are representative and not exhaustive. But how he presents his material is worth our attention. He gives us clues as to how to kill the sin that resides within by putting off our old habits and tendencies and the temptations that we constantly face. And we're preparing to land the plane now. So the question remains, how do I actually do this? How do I kill sin? We noted from the beginning that the reason for doing this is because we are no longer children of darkness. We have been saved from sin. So why would we live any longer in sin? We want to resemble our heavenly father and become more and more like Christ. That's the goal of discipleship. I think it comes down to two very simple concepts that we've spoken to many times before. Not terribly hard to understand, but a little more difficult to implement. The first one is this. My brothers and sisters, we must starve sin. Starve it at its root. That's why these lists are so helpful. It is true that we can say don't live immorally or go around slandering everyone. But getting to the root makes for better understanding of how to actually do that and how to execute that. 
My dear brother Collins Clark used to speak to this so often. Galatians 5.17. But I say, Paul said, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I'm going to repeat that. Do not gratify. I'm sorry. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Elsewhere, he says, do not give any room to sin. Do not dwell on it. Do not ruminate on it. Do not give it rental space in your mind. We preached on this a few years back. Do not give it an inch. The old saying, you give it an inch, it'll take a mile. The inverse that is spoken to here is this. Starve the flesh and saturate your mind saturate your mind with that which is good which is right and true and life-giving psalm chapter 1 verse 2 talks about meditating on the word of god day and night taking it all in slowing down And reflecting and letting it truly settle. I invite you to turn to your left to Philippians chapter 4. Familiar territory. Just a couple pages over. Philippians chapter 4. This is the beautiful passage that talks about anxiety and worrying and so forth. And it begins, it's kind of front-ended with, and the peace of God will be with you. Keep that in mind. We're going to skip down to verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy about praise, think about these things. The word of God is so clear, so direct, and so helpful. Go back to the list that we have been looking at. About midway through, there are these sins of the, of the mind, our thoughts, our passions, and where we park our mind. So Paul says, it's, it's all throughout the Bible, get rid of the bad stuff and park your mind on that which is life-giving. Notice how he ends in verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Now watch what he says next. And the God of peace will be with you. The peace of God will be with you as he starts. But then he reminds us, God is with us. And he is the God of peace. When we settle our mind on that which is good and true and life-giving, that is where we begin to see the victory. 
saints, let us take seriously the sin that remains and resides. Let us be intentional about killing sin. He is worthy. We are children of light. We have a new identity. Let us encourage and support one another toward this end, walking by the Spirit, being joy-filled Christians, being attentive to the needs of others, and truly being good news to those around us. Would you pray with me? There is a lot that we have spoken to this morning. It is our common lived experience, of course. We want to do the right thing, but we so often fail in the process. But because the Lord is worthy, because Christ suffered for our sins... We dare not live any longer in them. We must not have patience and tolerance for the things that we know are not pleasing to the Lord. Let us help one another, encourage one another, support one another without judgment. That's the worst thing. When there's a judgmental attitude. We are all sinners who have been saved by the grace of God. With that humility and that energy, let us encourage and support one another. The simplicity and the power of what we have spoken to this morning, we call it the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Christ died for sinners. He suffered. He died in our place. And he rose again. The scripture says when we turn in repentance to the Lord Jesus Christ and put our faith and our confidence in him and in him alone. Jesus said you pass from death to life. We call it rebirth. It's beautiful. If you have never placed your faith in Christ, the Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks, we give you praise for this new day. Thank you for the power of the blood. Thank you for the simplicity and the power of the gospel. And oh Lord, this this path that we're on called sanctification, growing in holiness more and more like Christ, we get so discouraged. Sometimes we see... We long to be further than where we are and like, oh man, I just blew it again. Lord, give us encouragement. Give us an eye to help one another. To speak the truth to one another in love. To be helpful to one another. As you go about that great gospel business of transforming us from one degree of glory to another. 
Until that day when we stand in glory and see you face to face and are fully and finally conformed to the image of Christ. Free from temptation, from sorrow, from trial. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.